Chapter 24 Moments later, the power armor saved him. Koisis clutched his legs as tightly as a bug's carapace and kept them from shattering when his feet hit the ground. Karaisis compressed his torso in a deep exhalation as he rolled down the sandy slope. Helen in boots flung up banners of sand in long looping swaths around him while he tumbled. Shrapnel followed him in a scouring rain. Bits of Yadagon bombarded the armor and fought to slice into the man within. Glaison's designs were too perfect, and Yalmoth was not destined to die that day. The tumbling roll ended at the bottom of the bank against a tangle of scrub. An ornate hunk of sextant pattered to a stop beside a complex section of nasal cavity. Among the larger pieces of debris was the Thran officer, likely the captain of the ship he had staved. The man was killed instantly on impact, but he kept rolling for some time, swathed in the white burnoose of the invading armies. Yalmoth stared irritably at the man. He glanced up the sparkling wall of the city above. Rip his eyes out. Though the helmet had saved his life, Yalmoth hauled the gritty thing from his head and flung it away. It spun atop the sand, took a hop, and landed in the broken arm of the fallen captain. Taking a deep breath, Yalmoth stood. Just poured from him. He seemed a ghost rising from the desert. Perhaps the Halcytes would think him slain. Perhaps he would see what they would do in his absence. He strode up the bank and looked back, hoping to see other survivors, enough to form a loyal band. Instead, he saw Thran soldiers swarm the mirror rays. They were as thick as ants on the distant devices. Cudgels and battle axes fell in the morning light, smashing reflectors even as the sun awaking across them. The array teams and their Phyrexian defenders were overrun, slaughtered. In moments, one whole array was destroyed. Shards of glass made a gaudy spectacle in the sand. Other arrays were falling. Two had been lost during the night. Now the other seven were smashed one by one. That meant no solar gun. That meant no more orbs charged until the war was done. That meant no new power stone cores. No new implosion bombs. No new raid cannon batteries. It might have just ended the war then for a lesser commander. Yalmoth had stockpiled power stones, and his greatest weapons were even then being assembled on the second sphere of Phyrexia. The Thran bashers concluded their work. Gathering beyond the shattered mirrors, they began a steady march eastward, toward Halcyon, toward Yalmoth. He descended the sandbank. He would just have enough time to strip the Thran captain of his burnoose and insignias. They would fit well enough over Yalmoth's power stone armor. The rest of the man could be buried, with only his helmeted head jutting from the sand. It would be enough to fool the Thran troops. Yalmoth would accompany them to the base of the extrusion and begin the climb. He would destroy a whole contingent of the Thran army and rise, resurrected into a city. And tear the gunner's eyes out. Lord Yalmoth's ship went down, the breathless courier panted rapidly. She paused, calming her voice. All hands, and our ruler, are presumed dead. Commander Gick stared out at the garrison of his Phyrexian guard. It would take hours to deploy the ground forces, what would the ruined lift? The Phyrexian steeplejacks, though, could climb to the exit port in minutes. They were amazing fighters, folk with general body configuration of sloths, but the speed of horses. They could gallop across cliff faces as if they were planes. Steeplejacks were smart, too. Their human intelligence was quickened by a cannibal wit. They only looked ignorant because of the simian spread of their lower faces, allowing a toothy jaw wide enough to bite off their victims' heads. Excuse me, Commander. Did you hear? Lord Yarmoth is presumed dead. Never presume Yarmoth dead, Gix replied levelly. He is not. I would know. I would sense it. I was told to await your orders, the young woman said. 
dipping her head in apology. My orders? Gix began, and then realized he was next in command. My orders to whom? Who sent you with this message? The commander of the house I guard, of course. The commander doesn't know how to deploy his forces? How to fire his guns? How to drop his bombs? Of course he does, stammered the courier. But he instructed me to ask if Lord Yawath's presumed condition might have a change in military policy. Gix's eyes flared. Surrender? The commander of the house I guard wants me to consider surrender? He only indicates that all options, every option, is yours. He is a coward and a traitor unworthy of his post. A keen smile filled Gix's face. Yes, every option. My orders are these. The commander of the house I guard must resign immediately. I am taking command of his forces. The courier had nothing to say to that. I am leading my Phyrexian guard into the city. You will accompany as we ascend. Deliver your message to the commander in my presence. I want you to have a weapon ready. If he does not surrender to my custody, I want you to slay him. He will not be expecting it from you. Understood? Yes, commander, the courier said, eyes lowered. Permission to speak? Granted. What will happen to the commander, sir? Gix's smile deepened. Perhaps he could be rehabilitated in Phyrexia. Perhaps he could become a great Phyrexian war. If he does not surrender, you will kill him. Yes, commander, the courier replied, hand on the dagger at her waist. Lord Yawath is no longer presumed dead. My steeplejacks will recover him. Yes, commander. Gix tenderly lifted her head. His own fingers were tipped now with chalk-like nails. In her innocent eyes, he saw his reflection. Menacing and inhuman. At least there was that smile. Perhaps the commander has no merit. But if you do, my dear, you may well have a place among us. Yes, commander. Yomoth climbed among an elite team of elf invaders. The elves were accustomed to scaling Managoth trees, not walls of cold stone. The morning sun cast the west cliff in shadow. These elves would have withered on the east cliff. Here they swarmed like lice. They hoped to reach the summit before midday, when the sun would overtake them and turn the cliff into a skillet. Of course, some had no hope of reaching the summit at all. Let go of my ankle! What are you trying to do? They were rather paltry last words for an elf. These long-lived folks should die with epic poems on their lips. This was the third who died whining. Actually, he didn't die whining. He merely lost his grip of the rock and fell, whining. Then came a sustained wail with an abrupt end. It seemed a very poor way to die. Yarmouth paused to watch. The elf became a puff of dust and a little red mark on the ground. Yarmouth climbed again, using the handle holds the elf had used. Good holds were critical. The cliff face leaned outward, which made it difficult climbing but prevented invaders from dropping rocks on their heads. Even the road that rose up the extrusion avoided this face of stone for lack of footing. It was the obvious choice for a vertical assault, but a difficult climb. Yamath was glad for the power stone armor, breathing deeply for him beneath the burn noose. He was also glad these elves had thought him mere clumsy, stupid, inept, merely human. Otherwise, the three sets that had happened while he was nearby might have not seemed accidents. Dare I attempt a fourth? Yamath wondered to himself as he climbed a slanting crack. Why not? His foot dislodged a janked hunk of basalt. The rock bounded down, catching an elf squarely on the forehead. The impact made a wet crack. 
wide green eyes closed. Attenuated fingers slid loose. The elf peeled away from the cliff face, just like a leaf from a wall. He tumbled most beautifully of all, laid out fully. The killing stone rested like a rakish crown on the stayed forehead. Enough! came a shrill voice above Yaloth. It was an elf warrior woman. She had loped a length of silken robe above a jutting stone and wrapped it around her waist. Her legs were folded in a crotch against the rock wall, and she glared down at Yamoth. Enough! Move away from us! Ally or not, you humans are so stupid, you might as well be agents of... Her rant broke off. Wide lavender eyes grew wider still. What is that? Under your burnoose? What is that? Yamoth glanced down to see the power stone armor gleaming beneath the open neck of his rope. He drew the throat close, sensing other elves climbing up around him. What is it? Just a souvenir. A trophy, really. I got it from the crashed ship back there. They say this stuff stopped arrows and swords and everything. Souvenirs! Grave robber! Human scum! No wonder you're such a clod, wearing fifty pounds of armor. Who needs armor on a climb like this? Yamoth stared up past her. The cliff face was silhouetted black against the bright sky. Dark figures moved rapidly across it, descending. Looks like all of us do. The elf woman turned to look. She gasped. Yamoth grabbed her cloak and yanked hard. The silken cord sliced through. She fell. Yamoth managed to foul another elf with the cloak. Both were dragged away. Three more elves grabbed at Yamoth's burnoose. He flung it off, revealing the power stone armor. The Phyrexian steeplejacks arrived. They bounded down the cliffs as they were running on level stone. Head first they came. Their shoulders worked furiously beneath black mail. Their crescent claws caught easily in any crevice that presented itself. From the nose upward, their faces were still vaguely human, though broad and grotesque grins filled the lower halves of their heads. One steeplejack opened its mouth, filed teeth spread in a round bite, and a double-jointed jaw ratched wide. It seemed like a living bear trap grafted into a human head. Within that enormous mouth, the creature's vestigial human tongue lay slack and puny, a mere flap of skin. The steeplejack's first victim gazed dumbfounded at that limp muscle, even as it slapped his cheek. The jaw snapped shut around his throat. Then all went black. Black for one elf, and red for all the others. Even in a slim elf body, there are gallons of blood. The steeplejack reveled in a crimson spray. Gore hissed out between the thing's teeth and blanketed the other elves. They shied back, one falling even before the headless corpse tugged free of its severed sinews and tumbled downward. They felt side by side, the body trailing a red spiral in the air. Yamoth gazed happily at the steeplejack. The thing opened its mouth again, letting the skull fall from its teeth. The steel trap jaws clamped again, crunching through cheekbone, an auditory canal, and into the brain case. It seemed only a gray pudding between those teeth. Three more steeplejacks were even then eating through the other elves. Lower down, invaders dropped off the wall, limp with terror. A few flung themselves away, choosing a better death. Some even mustered a line of poetry as they did. It was lost on Yamoth. He heard only the contended work of the steeplejack's jaws, saw only the ball of meat and bone that had once been an elf's head. You're one of Gix's boys, aren't you? Recognition dawned in the creature's eyes, and it nodded. Good. You understand, Yamoth said. I figured you must be intelligent, or you would bit my head off too. But how smart are you? How do you know who I am? The look in the steeplejack's eyes deepened to fear and reverence. It opened its dripping gob and out the tumbled masticated head. Lord Yalmoth, 
It bowed its own head, pressing one wet cheek to the stone. Yes, he replied. Do you think you could carry me to the city? The creature nodded avidly, leapt forward, swung an arm around him, and began in lurching ascent. As they went, Yamoth contented himself watching the bodies rain down from the sides of the cliff. In time, his attention returned to the laboring figure that carried him. A slow smile spread across his face. I know you. You were one of the first health corps workers. Zod. Yes, your name was Zod. A look of pride shone in the steeplejack's eyes. Yes, Lord Yamoth. Yes. You look different, Yamoth said in unabashed amazement. You look beautiful. Yes, Lord Yamoth. What is that? What is that? hissed one of Rebecca's goblins. The creature was supposed to be helping to install the temple's control stone. Instead, he stood at the western edge of the temple and stared down at the battle below. What is that? Every repetition of that question drew more goblins away from Rebecca and the weighty icosahedron. What is that? Get back over here, growled Rebecca as she hauled futilely at the pallet that held the stone. The icosahedron they finally had found was huge, the size of a man, and four times the weight. What is it? What is what? She yelled. Mistress Rebecca, said one of the older goblins. I think you ought to come see this. With a final grow of aggravation, she released the pallet. She brushed off her hands and stood. I know it's hard to concentrate with battle's blow, but the whole reason we're trying to get this stone into place is to save us all from the battle. And unless I have some help from you... Her admonition broke off mid-sentence as she stared down past scabby heads, past the gleaming edge of the temple, past even the western wall of the city, to the cliff face. There, dark figures bounded, attacking the Thran soldiers who climbed. They seemed black fleas and white lice. The black flames were incredibly nimble. They swarmed in, and wherever they went, Thran fell to their deaths. More artifact creatures? More machines? Rebecca mused. Surely not. All of Halcyon's mechanical defenders, aside from the sand crabs, were Glaceon's designs. Rebecca knew all of her husband's work. Nothing like this ever appeared. Still, what else could it be? They must be machines. No, them's people, the old goblin said. People? Rebecca asked. Yep, people. That's what Yalmoth tells them. Change them. Makes them into Phyrexians. Phyrexians, Rebecca echoed. She had seen minor mutation. Hypertrophy. Giantism. But nothing like this. Tens of thousands of Halcytes had thronged to Phyrexia, and this is what Yalmoth was doing to them? Rebecca wandered away from the spot, shock making her arms and legs numb. I know he was improving them, but this? There was no sounds of battle here in the temple, but all that went on in the city was shown in prismatic sections through the structure. Rebecca saw more moving forms, loping, scuttling, capering, vaulting, inhuman figures, making their way down the streets. Her feet felt as they belonged to someone else as she plotted to the eastern overlook. There, troops marched down Council Boulevard. One side of the street was filled with Halcyte guards, and the other filled with Phyrexian guards. As severe and frightening as the Halcyte guards were in the silver armor, the Phyrexian troops were not even recognizably human. Fangs, claws, antennae, stingers, hackles, manes. It was a surreal procession. At the head of the two columns were their commanders. This is what he's doing to them, Rebecca said disbelieving. The columns halted on the steps of the council hall. 
Commander Gix and the Halcyte Guard Commander strode up to the first landing. One of Gix's Phyrexians came with them. It was a hulking figure, two heads taller than the commander's. Its head was a huge ball of muscle. Dagger-sized teeth resided behind a grotesquely swollen jaw. Its arms hung to his knees, and it hunched upstairs too small for its clawed feet. Gix was addressing the troops. Rebecca could hear nothing. His speech was angry. His gestures clipped. In the end, he gestured the Halcyte Guard Commander to his knees. The man reluctantly dropped. The Phyrexian beast loomed forward. Rebecca cringed away. She closed her eyes and hid them in her hands. The man's death, that man's blood, would gleam in a million facets all around her. A voice broke the silence. The voice of the old goblin. Mistress Rebecca, come see. One of them eight people's got Lord Yarmouth. It's carrying him up to the city. Lord Yarmouth's alive. Climbing to her feet, Rebecca lifted her eyes toward the bright havens so she would see none of the atrocities taking place below. She staggered toward the control stone. Tears streamed down her cheeks, and through a tight throat she shouted, Get over here! All of you! Get over here! We've got to get this stone in place!